Well, thank you so much uh, for having me here this morning. I'm so excited to be here and uh, the opportunity and the honor that Pastor Mark and Baylife has given me to be able to be here to share what I believe God has for us all today. As he said, my name is Matthew Leach. I've been a pastor in the area for about the last nine years and God has been transitioning our family into a new season of life. And so we're excited for what God is going to do and we are looking forward to how the story uh, will play out. I've been married to my wife, Jennifer, for 16 years now. As you can see here on the screen in a second, yeah, that's worth it, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're clapping because I got the right amount of years or just because we've been married for that long. We have five beautiful children, uh, four boys, one girl, which hopefully they'll get the screen up here and you'll be able to see them. Our oldest uh, is Elias. He's 13. We have twins, Abogo, Jacob on the end, and Selah standing next to me. Uh, then our big little guy, Uriah, he is eight. And then our youngest one, Simon, is six. So as you can imagine, my wife is very busy. There's a lot of movement and excitement in our house all the time. And what's really amazing is getting to see all their varying personalities. And those of you that know that you have, that have children at all understand, right, all the personalities that come out from two totally different people, and then we end up with five totally different personalities, from the super self-motivated, driven one to the extremely uh, complicated, um, how do you say, difficult one, <laughs> to the over-extremely creative one that also you can tell those that she is creative by the destruction of her room on a regular basis and the inability to see that there's a mess there, which is a trait of super creative people. It's amazing to see her creativeness and how quickly a room can get messy. Uh, to our eight-year-old who's very particular about his things, he's uh, semi-OCD, wants things to be a certain way, a certain place. The first time he ever wore a suit, which was a couple weeks ago, now he wants to wear that all the time. Everywhere he goes, shoes have got to be right, belt, socks, all the things. To our littlest one, who is uh, we call our powerful one, also known as uh, our spicy one. And seeing all their personalities develop and grow over the years is truly one of my favorite things to, to do. It's a hobby to watch them day in and day out. And the days are very long, but the years are very, very quick and short. And so it's exciting to see them. It doesn't take much in our house to make things exciting. Whatever it may be, watching their eyes light up at the a possibility of a movie night or making milkshakes with the blender at home where we will make a gigantic mess, but it'll be fantastic. Somebody will get hurt. Somebody will be crying. Somebody will be laughing. It all depends. We encapsulate all emotions in one event. It's amazing. To Christmases where you get to hope and wonder what it is that they're going to get where they get to express themselves and their gifts and in giving to one another and it's the, the sheer joy and sparkle that happens in their eye. And one of my favorite things is when I get to go to the boys and I get to say, hey, we're going to the dump. And just the light and spark that's in their eyes because they know the possibility of getting to break something is tremendous. And so we load up and we go to the dump and it's a crazy experience and the poor Hillsborough County people that are running it are like, what in the world is happening as the children uh, clamber all over the truck like roaches, throwing everything they possibly can into the dumpster, hoping that it will break. And then explaining to them like, hey, you can't, you can't go in there and get that, that back. Um, yes, yeah, so I know there's a TV in there, but we, that, one, it's probably broken, but two, you can't climb back in there and pull that out. 
but getting to watch all their personalities and just the little to the big things that just bring so much joy and spark into their life and getting to see what God is doing. But also, as you can understand, um, if you've seen those things or if you've hoped for something before, you can understand what it feels like to hope for something, for, to want something, whether it's a new job, maybe even as we saw this week with our, the social media post through Bay Life of proposing to your potential spouse. I can remember that day very clearly. It was going to be on the St. Pete Pier. I was very excited, obviously. I was very nervous, obviously. I didn't even make it down to the romantic part of the pier. Instead, I proposed to her next to a light post and some grungy old boats. <laughs> But I remember what it feels like to have that anticipation, that hope inside. The trust, knowing what God is going to do in our lives. And maybe you can relate to any of those kind of circumstances. But then also on the flip side, maybe you relate today to a circumstance in your life where you have felt hopelessness. Where you have felt my entire world, my entire... um, Everything that I've built is, is, is collapsing around me. And that's about where my family has been in the last eight months, where God has taken us from one situation and beginning to grow us and move us into another. And maybe you've felt those hopeless moments. Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, begins to express a hopeless moment as he's watched the destruction of the city, as he's watched all these things right in the middle of this amazing book. He gives us an amazing truth to cling on to today, which is the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's pray today as we begin to dive into God's word. Lord, we thank you today of the truth that we just read. Lord, the truth that your mercies are new every day, that your steadfast love never ends, it never ceases, it never changes. Lord, today help us to rest upon that truth, Lord. Most of all, Lord, help your spirit to speak to us today. Lord, help your spirit to move us into new life with you. Lord, help grow us today. Help grow us this morning as we learn from your word. Lord, let it be your words that are heard. Let it be your truths that are heard. Let entertainment be removed and let realness and transparency of your spirit begin to work within us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So what we're going to look at today, based on surrounding this idea of the steadfast love never ceasing and that our hope is in him, is we're going to look at the story of Ruth and Naomi and what they had to go through. So I'm going to give you a little bit of this in a Matthew Leach uh, interpreted version. We're going to look at some of the passages within the book of Ruth and see this amazing story that plays out within the story of Ruth. So you see, Naomi was married to Elimelech, and they had a famine in the land, the land of Israel. So they left and went to Moab. There she had two sons, and there those two sons got married to Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Now, second service, you get something that the first service didn't get. 
I continued to make fun of the name Orpha last service. Little did I know there was an Orpha in the room. <laughs> I know, right? I felt the same thing. Now she was very gracious and kind. So what you're getting is Orpha, what a wonderful name. <laughs> what a great, wonderful name to have. You should name your daughter that because it's very original. That is not what the first service got. Either way, these are the two, the two daughter-in-laws that Naomi ends up with, Orpha and Ruth. Well, then what happens is tragedy strikes, and Naomi's world is completely rocked. Elimelech dies, her husband, and then her two sons die. And she's left with these two daughter-in-laws. And she has a decision to make in this moment. Her entire world is collapsing around her. She has a decision to make. And she decides that what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to the land. The famine is over. It's been about 10 years or so. And I'm going to go back to the land. You daughters, you can stay here. You don't have to go. So here's what she says in Ruth uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb? that they may become your husbands? What a mother-in-law thing to say. I like picture in my head like Ruth and Orpah being like, oh my gosh, here she goes. But I could be wrong. Turn back, my daughters, go away, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Here we can hear what Naomi is going through. We can hear the sadness in her voice. We can hear the distress, the struggle that she's in. That she's lost all hope. Then verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, small g. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. She is accepting the God, the one true God, the God of Israel. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. How many of you love your mother-in-law that much? I mean, let's come on. How incredible is that, right? That whatever relationship Ruth and Naomi have, this is what Ruth is saying. Where you die, I will die. I will make your God, big G, my God, big G. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So apparently Ruth had the strongest enough personality to then like, okay, Naomi was like, I'm not going to argue with you anymore, little daughter-in-law. Come on. Amazing to see the faithfulness, the loyalty of Ruth that she has to Naomi. And it's here that Naomi begins to see a little tiny bit of hope. 
You see, that's sometimes what we need. It's just a little tiny bit to get us through to the next moment. And Naomi, based on what the word of God says, based on what the story says, the narrator is telling us she was completely without hope. Even saying silly things. Are you going to wait till I have another son? I'm not even married. Are you going to wait till they're growing up? And, you know, Ruth's probably like, come on. No, I'm with you because of who you are. So there's probably some investment that took place sometime within Naomi's life or Ruth's life by Naomi that then Ruth saw what it is to worship the one true God. And she said, no, 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 where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Here's the thing that would let us never forget when we read these stories is that it's not just a story. These are real people. They are real people that have experienced real emotions. It's not just a narration for us to have. This is the real, true, living word of God. That Naomi really felt these things. That Ruth really felt and said these things. If we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. That these are real people that we can relate to. That we can learn from. And the way that they handle their situations. Because the truth is, we could probably relate in some way or shape or form in this room. There's probably been a time where you've had a death in your family and you felt sad. There's probably been a time where you weren't really sure where to go next or what to do, or you were in a land figuratively or literally that you were not a part of before. We can all relate to it. And that's what's amazing about the scripture of God, right? That even thousands of years later, it's still, we're still humans. And so the story goes on. They go back to Bethlehem. And Naomi's like, hey, this is what you need to do, Ruth, because we need some food. They're in a moment of needing hope again. And so she tells Ruth to go out and to glean behind the reapers. So based on the, the law of God in Deuteronomy, he tells the reapers and the harvesters, hey, what you're supposed to do is as you reap a field, whatever you leave behind is for the widow, for the poor, for the sad, for those kinds of things kind of an offering, more or less, to take care of those people that may need it. And so this is what Ruth does. She goes behind the reapers, still probably learning the law of God. Ruth, remember, she was a Moabite. And she picks it up, and she gets very small amounts, but it's enough to help her and Naomi get by. Small little moment of hope. Then what happens is Ruth says to Naomi, like, hey, this was Boaz's land, because Naomi's like, who were you with? Oh, Boaz. Naomi's like, wait a minute. That is a relative of Elimelech, my, my deceased husband. He's a righteous man. He's a good man. He's obviously following the law because he's telling his reapers to leave it there. He also tells um, Ruth in an exchange, hey, stay with my ladies and people so that she is safe. And she has this interaction with Boaz. And Boaz, like any good dude, is like, notices Ruth, like, hmm, we should find out who this is. It helps take care of her. Now, Naomi's like, sees the bigger picture of the moment, little moment of hope realized. Wow, okay, and he's into you. Yeah, so, Ruth probably said, okay, this is what you got to do. Keep doing this, stay where he is. And then she tells him, Later on throughout the story, she tells her, okay, hey, uh, Boaz is in the threshing floor 
which what this is, is this is the place where they would take all the barley, all the grain, barley is mostly what's mentioned in this story, and they would lay it on the ground, and there was a couple different methods that they could go through, whether it was a stone that they could roll over it, for the most part, I think it was probably some kind of cattle or oxen or something that would walk over top of it that would then loosen up the, the grains and the fruit of the barley and the wheat. And so then they would pull that out from there, and then they would have what they needed to then eat and all those wonderful things and store. And so she tells her, hey, Boaz is laying there. Naomi says this to Ruth. Ruth goes, she lays down at the feet of, of Boaz. He wakes up. He sees her. She's like, whoa, I'm so blessed to even be here, to be considered by you. All these things. They have this conversation at one point in Ruth chapter 2, prior to even getting to this, Boaz has heard of Ruth's faithfulness. And he says to her in, in Ruth chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, who's, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So this was kind of their first conversation through all of that story ending up at his feet and him saying to her, I will take care of you. We're going to figure this thing out. There was immediate hope that was satisfied within those moments. Immediate hope that was taken care of. But here's the thing about immediate hope, that our, we have a part to play. That we have a part to play within this immediate hope. You see, Ruth went out. She got to work, gleaning and picking up the grain that was left behind. She had something to do to help see that hope realized. There was an action that she had to take to see the immediate hope. And here sometimes is the conflict that I've become in my own um, personality, in my own struggle, in my own seeking and running the race to follow Jesus as best I can. I can't just sit back. I trust you, God. It sounds real good. It sounds real Christian and churchy. I'm just going to sit back and you will provide. Because there are moments for that. The truth is, if my tire goes flat on the side of the road, I can't just, well, I trust Jesus to provide. No, I got to get my hands dirty. I got to take the wheel off. I got to change the wheel. I got I to do something. He's providing. He provided a spare. Now, we've been in those stories, right, where the spare's flat, da, 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 whatever. We're not going to go that direction, right? But either way, there's something to do. Ruth has to take action. Sometimes we get stuck in hopeless moments because we find ourselves maybe in an inability just to move forward. And so then we allow the Spirit of God to help us move and show us, hey, go, pick up the grains behind, do something, get working, get moving. Then there's also this, this other conflict that sometimes I have in my own heart of people that are in hopeless situations because they've put themselves in a hopeless situation. And maybe by the decisions that they've made, they are now facing a hopeless situation because of the decision that they made. And I'm talking negative decision. Sometimes there's decisions and things that happen that have negative consequences that we didn't anticipate. But I'm talking about we've made a poor decision, an unethical, immoral decision. 
breaking the law of the land, knowing that if we break the law of the land, that there is consequences for that. We find ourselves in a situation because we have done something wrong. And so what do you do with that? They're in a hopeless situation because of the decision that they've made. Here's the greatness about God, that even if it's a hopeless situation that you yourself have put yourself in, he is still gracious and kind and provide what you need to be drawn out of that hopeless situation. But it comes also on our part with that of an attitude of repentance and of turning and recognizing, one, I've made a bad decision, two, you are my savior, my God, my king, you will handle this now and you will help guide me on which direction I should go. So there's two, there's, that's our part, the immediate hope that we have to sometimes do something to see hope realized, right? Naomi didn't just stay in the Moabite land. No, she got up, she moved. She followed what God was telling her and she did it, which then affected Ruth. Ruth made the decision, unlike Orpah, to go with Naomi. There was action that took place. That's our immediate hope. Immediate hope that needs to be realized there in the moment. So time goes on. It seems like based on the narration of the story, it wasn't too much long of time. But what happens is after Ruth wakes up and Boaz wakes up and sees Ruth there, he says to her, there's a situation that's taking place within the land, right? So Naomi, the widowed of Elimelech, there's land that's there, that's theirs. But there's another redeemer that can come and redeem that land. So this other redeemer, Boaz is aware of. He's like, hey, there is another redeemer ahead of you. I'm not sure what to do. So he knows that if I get the land, I get Naomi, I get Ruth. Ultimate goal in Boaz's mind at this point. Like, hey, I've got to figure out how to make this work. And so there's this conversation that takes place where he tells her, like, hey, we got to go before the elders to figure out how to get this land because there's land that needs to be redeemed, right? We're still stuck in a moment of immediate hope needed. Naomi, Ruth, still needing hope. We're beginning to see God's sovereignty and plan begin to work out, which is truly amazing. And so then Boaz goes, he talks in front of the elders and in front of the other redeemer who we don't know, at least I didn't get that part in seminary. Maybe there's somebody else that knows, but who knows. After last service when I made fun of Orpah, I'm willing to take a chance on anything now. <laughs> so there's another redeemer that takes that there. They have a conversation. And then the other redeemer's like, hey, no, I'm not taking this land. There's some verses in there that you could deep dive into later on that talks about maybe he had some other land that he was trying to get. Instead of that, go on your own if you'd like. She says no, so he passes it on to Boaz. Boaz purchases the land. He gets Naomi. He gets Ruth. What an amazing story of redemption. What an amazing story when we see that the love for some, that somebody has for somebody else can begin to change the narration of even our own life. That Boaz knew that he loved Ruth and he was going to try to figure out how to make this work. Little bit of immediate hope to get them to the next phase. And maybe whatever circumstances you find yourself in this morning... Maybe that's all you need is you just need a little bit of hope. You just need a little bit of something to get you to the next thing. And I've been there. Our family has been there. Throughout the last eight months, it's been difficult. 
God has completely changed and rocked our world. Something that was semi-firm and true and right completely changed. And God, in his loving kindness and gracious mercy, all the little steps along the story continue to provide hope again and again and again and again. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're even sitting here this morning and you're trying to figure out a situation within your own life. Chances are good, it's probably 100%. If we know anything about humans, there's something in your head right now that you're trying to figure out to do next. But like Ruth, be faithful to the God of Israel. Lean on him. He will provide little bits of hope. And you probably can think back to circumstances within your own life where you're like, wow, that worked out. Or wow, look at how this happened. Or I met so-and-so through so-and-so and then this all took place. In my own life, it's still truly amazing. Because eight months ago, I just sent Mark an email saying, hey, you want to get a cup of coffee? And now through God's loving kindness, somehow I'm standing here before you. Sometimes you just need little moments, little pieces of hope to get you to the next thing. Trusting God, continuing to move forward. And listen, I understand sometimes there are struggles so deep within ourselves that it's hard to just get up and take the first step towards the coffee pot in the morning. But God will continue to show you little bits of hope. And that's what he does here in the story of Ruth. Little pieces of hope. And so then there's the ultimate hope that is realized. The ultimate hope of Ruth and Naomi's story that is realized. So Boaz gets the girl. Yay. He also gets land, which is good too, right? <laughs> he gets the girl. And they have a son. And the women of the land say this to Naomi. In chapter 4, 14 through 17. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned throughout Israel. Guess what? It is. We're talking about Boaz still today. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nurturer of your old age. Seems a little harsh. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him, to a son. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. How about that, right? What if every time there was a child born in Bay Life, we all got together and got to pick out the name? <laughs> like, that could be real interesting, right? <laughs> Not only that, but you get more than eight people in the room with all the various opinions, and we would never, ever settle on a name. This is what they name him. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That throughout this entire story is leading up into this moment. The first time I read Ruth uh, through again about a month ago, I'm like, wait a minute. Everybody's all excited about Ruth and Boaz. The entire point of this story is, this, is to continue to prove that Jesus comes from the line of David. Here's what's amazing, side note, about the sovereignty of God, right? 
and the all-knowing omnipotence of him that when this story was taking place, he knew what was going on. So if you think for one second in your life with a God that knows the number of the hairs on your head, if you think for one second in your life that God has removed himself and that he doesn't go know what's going on, we're looking at a story that was written thousands and thousands of years ago that proves that Jesus is from the line of David that then satisfies the prophets and says that he is the Messiah. So don't think for one second that the God that holds the universe in the crevice of his hand, knowing the numbers of the hairs on your head, knowing you inside and outside, does not care. Because even in this moment, we have proved the orchestration and the beautifulness of the sovereignty of God. So in this moment... Hear the same thing that Naomi is hearing. Bless, be blessed. All of Naomi's hopelessness realized, her ultimate hope realized, holding this baby boy. It would then in turn become into the line of our Savior. Whatever circumstance you're facing in life, whatever moment of uncertainty you're facing in your life, whatever thing you are going through right now, know that this is what hope is. It is the confidence in the greatness and the faithfulness of God. Even Naomi, when she changed her name within the book Tomorrow, which means bitterness, even in that stage of her life, she continued to trust in the confidence that she has in the greatness and the faithfulness of God. Confidence is not the same thing as arrogance. Let's be very clear on two different things here. Arrogance is knowing something that you think you know that you don't know. Teenagers. (laughs) I have one. It's a new experience. He texts on the way to Revolve. Or when do they get there? I don't have my bed sheets. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Oh, I found them. I know. (laughs) Arrogance. Knowing things that you think you know that you don't know. Confidence. Knowing something without a shadow of a doubt because of the experiences that you have had. You probably do it in your job. There's probably amazing, talented, intelligent people in here, doctors, lawyers, physicians, pharmacists that know so much about your job, and we are glad that you do. You have confidence there. But the one thing that I can tell you that I have confidence in is the greatness and the faithfulness of God. That throughout my experiences and in my life, throughout seeing God and his sovereignty work, I know and I have confidence in the greatness and faithfulness of him. Therefore, I have hope. And I also have hope realized because there's been circumstances and things that have happened within our life with the uprooting of a career and a title and a job that I thought was all was supposed to be completely changing, rocking everything. But I know the confidence of the greatness of God and the faithfulness of God. You see, faithfulness is the precursor to hope. And then once you have faith, which sometimes is difficult to have, because it's not tangible all the time. I like things that I can see, I can feel, that I can touch. Faithfulness is that, ooh, I hope this stage is going to hold me. 
or I hope that chair is going to hold me, or at a stop sign, I really hope they're going to stop. Faith leads to hopefulness. When you have the foundation of faith, you can have hope. Then you can have hope realized, like Naomi did. The hope of a little baby boy. You see, that's ultimate faith. That's ultimate hope. Believing and knowing that it is the confidence and the greatness and the faithfulness of God. First Peter says this. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you hear Ruth's story there? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The inheritance that came through the faithfulness of Ruth. The faithfulness of David. Ultimately, the faithfulness of God and his amazing sovereignty. That we have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. And I ask myself this question a lot. What if I really, truly believed in the power of his resurrection in every moment and instance in my life? Whether personal and private or whether out in public. What if I really believe in the power of his resurrection? What if? And so we search every day to understand what that is. That's a living hope. A constant, ultimate, living hope that the power of the resurrection that draws Jesus from the grave, the great, 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 great grandson, I don't know how many there are, of Ruth. The power of his resurrection living in our life. So whatever demons you are fighting, whatever struggles you are going through, whatever heartache you are having, whatever hopelessness you are finding, know this. That the power of the resurrection, the living hope of Jesus lives within you. The only thing that we can say is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So trust that today. There's nothing special about this concept, but as I, as in the preparation for this message, have needed to preach this to myself day and day and day again. Knowing that my hope lies in Jesus. My hope lies in him and in him alone. See, for some of us, we may feel like this is the only hope that we have. And when we look at our life, when we look at the circumstances that we're in, we could feel like this is it. That all I've got, this is it. This is all I've got. I've been in this moment where it's felt like the only thing that I have, which is a great place to be, is Jesus. And this is all the hope that I need. This is all that I need in my life is just this one little flame to keep me moving forward day in and day out. And maybe that's how you feel this morning because maybe you're facing a broken marriage. Maybe you're facing a loss of a job. Maybe you're facing a wayward child. Whatever it is, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, the undefiled, unfailing love of Jesus will carry you through. And that 
maybe this is all you have in this moment. But what were to happen if I was to light the wall on fire? One, Pastor Mark would not be happy. But it would light up this entire room. It would change the entire room. It would shape it differently. But that's what Jesus does. He gives us this sometimes to get us through. And it's all we need. When everything else is gone, it's all we need. All we need is him. All we need is the power of his resurrection and the hope that he will put inside of us. And one day we will have the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate hope. If you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life and your savior, you've repented of your sin, you've turned to him, we rest in the salvation that he has given us freely that one day there's an ultimate hope because I promise you there are people in this life and there are people in this world where this is literally all they have is that one single thing. That for whatever reason, the cards they have been dealt continue to lead to struggle after struggle after struggle after struggle after heartache after heartache after heartache. Look at Job if you don't think I'm telling the truth. It's another book in the Bible. This is all we need though. And sometimes also in my life, this has been what the Holy Spirit has felt like. Super quiet, super still, just telling me to wait, keep trusting, keep hoping. And that ultimate hope. Can you imagine the conversation between Ruth and Jesus in heaven? Just to be a little extreme in the moment. What was that like? Jesus is like, hey, good job. And she's like, you were my great, great, grand, however many you want to put on there. We could look later in Matthew. Grandson. He's like, yeah, the faithfulness of God and your obedience is tremendous. But it also shows the greatness and the sovereignty of God. So as we land today, I'd like to place ourselves into two categories. First category being, the truth is there's probably 100% of the people in this room that have something that they need to be hoping for or change or fix or asking God's help with. And so maybe you're in that category of, I just need prayer. I need to give this over to God in this moment, this decision, this struggle, this addiction, this whatever it may be. And so maybe that's where you land today, is that you need to remember the hope of God, that maybe you're like Naomi and you've lost a loved one and your world is rocked, or you're like me and job has changed and shattered your world. I promise you the hope that he provides is so much greater and deeper. And when you look back one day like Ruth has done and you see the greatness of God, you will praise and worship him more than ever before. And then there's the second category that some of you, somebody in this room has no ultimate hope because you do not know Jesus as your savior. And what's the point of all of this if we don't talk about needing Jesus as our savior? Jesus even said to go out to all the nations and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
point of this maybe for you today is to come forward, to repent of your sins, to turn from your ways, and to accept Jesus' free gift of eternal life. It's free. He paid it. He did it. It's done. It is undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. It is an imperishable. It is an inheritance that we have as a child of God. We are the baby that Naomi is holding. And so maybe today you need to make the decision to ask Jesus to be your savior. Because maybe today, that's all you have is nothing. Maybe today you need to ask Jesus to come in and to light the candle. So what we're gonna do today is something a little bit different. And I get away with it because I'm the new guy. is gonna sing, and we're gonna take a moment of worshiping through praise. And I'm gonna ask you, after I'm done praying, to stand and to move and to do something. And I'm confident that, the, that God's going to move. And that may movement may be you just standing or kneeling at your seat or praying with your spouse next to you. But I'm asking for physical movement today. When I proposed to Jennifer, I had to physically get on my knee. And so I'm asking you to physically move. And maybe you need to come forward as the prayer team will be forward here and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. But either way, I'm going to ask for you to move today. Let's make action. Let's move and let's do something today. Let's glean behind the reapers. And let's move. And if you need to ask Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is no greater moment than right now. You're already here. He's already calling you. I came to him unperfect. So can you. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this this morning, this day that you've given us, Lord, to hear your word. And Lord, help us to be changed by it. Because shame to us to open your word and to hear from your spirit and to not move and to not change and to not seek you. Lord, so today there are people here in this room that need to move, that need to physically remember what it felt like to go and pray with somebody as a marker within their life, Lord. And there's people in this room, Lord, that need to know you as Savior. And that is what we call for this morning. Lord, you move in this place. You change us. It's in your name we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen.